decir. The ultimate joy only seen in serving and loving Christ. I find it very humbling when preparing a sermon, as no matter how much planning, research, prayer you do, the sermon you started off on Monday is usually very different to the one that you present on a Sunday. It's a great blessing to be here preaching on a subject that is very close to both Michael and my heart at the moment, and that is as members serving in the church. In this sermon, I want us to understand as a body of believers who this servant is in Isaiah 52, 12 to 15, and in 53, 1 to 6. Why is serving joyful? And what type of servant would save those who despise and rejected him? Then next week, we're going to look at the manner of serving and the fruits of being a servant ourselves through the lens of Isaiah 53, 7 to 12. So let's get into the Scripture. Those that I want to follow along, open up on um, chapter 52, and we're going to start off in verse 12. That's chapter 52 of Isaiah, starting in verse 12. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there are many who are uh, appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and from his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And for what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, and he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom the people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So to the first point, 
Who is the servant in Isaiah? Chapters 52 and 53. As remember, this was written 700 years before Christ. Could the text of this book given to us refer to someone else? So let's start with the obvious contenders. The most likely servants that this text could be referring to. So, does it refer to Isaiah himself? As elsewhere in the book of Isaiah, he is referred to as a servant. Let's read from Isaiah 49.5. Now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. Or could it be Israel? Sometimes in the book of Isaiah, servant refers to the people of Israel. Let's read from Isaiah 41, 8 to 9 on this point. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth and from its father's corners. I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and you have not, re not rejected you. But it is not Isaiah, our Israel. And the question is, why? In verse 52, 14 that we just read, just as there were many who were appalled at him, 52, 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, 53, 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. So, I'm getting from this text that he was appalling. He had no beauty. He was despised and rejected by us. And this he, singular, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. So it was not the people of Israel or Isaiah. Verse 5 really defines who the servant is. But he was pierced with our transgressions. He was crushed with our iniquities by the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Dundalk Baptist Church, this is substitution language. Someone is pierced for another. Punishment has brought us peace. That healed our wounds. You can clearly see it would not be Isaiah or the people of Israel, as they were part of the group that the substitution was for. This was, this servant was, Jesus, the Messiah. I hope you're saying in your own minds as you're listening to this, Les, where's the joy in this? You're talking about piercings, crushing, punishments. These are not joyous words. If you're thinking this, great. And I will answer this by developing the thought further by answering a second question. Secondly, why did God, in his great wisdom, create this prophecy 700 years before Christ came? 
700 years is very important. As we have Augustine and Jerome, the church fathers, saying this message of Isaiah 53 is equivalent to a fifth gospel. The fifth gospel of the New Testament. Found in the Old Testament, directing us to Christ and his work of salvation of sinners. Piper said, Nowhere in the Old Testament does the gospel of Jesus Christ shine so more clearly than in Isaiah 53. God opened the eyes of Isaiah to see what Christ's mission was. The key function of his saving work is substitution. The Messiah is pierced and crushed in our place. The righteous in the place of the unrighteous. The shepherd in the place of the lost sheep. The king substituted by the lowly singing, a sin, a sinning rebel. That's us. So God in his plan of salvation predicted it and then presented it to Isaiah. So now in 2024, we can say that Christ has come and that the substitution has been fulfilled. So this truth of his work in the book of Isaiah, the original prediction, is now a double validation. I see this in my mind as like a, a, lock of, a double lock of truth where you get the first lock, which is the validation of the prediction, and then you get the second lock, which is the coming of Christ and its fulfillment. Name one other event in history that was predicted 700 years prior and was fulfilled. There is not another. So this double validation of Christ's works becomes elevated for us. Just an FYI, there's 300 other prophecies fulfilled in the New Testament. We barely scraped the surface in this sermon. But this should be your first joy this morning. The joy of a double validation of Christ's work in you. Christ coming to fulfill the scriptures is why the difficult words of 52 and 53 become glorious because we are that sinning rebel to be saved. So we've established through the text of Isaiah 53 that the servant is the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. But are there more texts or examples to prove this servant in Isaiah was Christ? There's a lovely story, and part of the story was read by Michael. In Acts 8, of this Ethiopian eunuch that was reading Isaiah 53. And then suddenly, due to the understanding of the passage, gets baptized. Remember, Philip joined him by the chariot, as instructed by the Spirit of the Lord. The eunuch asked the very same question we're asking about this morning. Who is this servant? Let's join Acts 8.29. The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up quickly to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. 
unless someone explains this to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as, like, as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humili humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is Isaiah 50, uh, 53, verse 7. Let's continue in the, in the, in the, in the chapter here, in, in, in verse 34. Then the eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The power of the gospel to baptize due to Jesus, even if it's written 700 years prior to the four gospels being written. Another great example is when Peter quotes Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds we are healed, in 1 Peter 2.24, and applies it to Jesus. Listen to the text that Peter says in 1 Peter 1.10-11. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently with, with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. To the Baptist Church, we are in those glorious days. The glories are the joy of salvation and man and God being united again through the way of Christ. There's a third example of this, and that was what Michael read and preached on last week, Mark 10:45. A man of God had come to serve, come to be, uh, to, uh, the, the man of God did not come to be served, but to serve. These glories are what, are, are what we experience as believers sitting here today. The joy of by how Christ served you with everything he had as a man and as a God. Now we've established the importance of who the servant is, let's look at the why of the joy and the love in serving him. The joy of serving in a local body of Christ must be part of, us, of our ethos in life, but also your ethos in your church life as an actual member of the body of Christ. This image of the body of Christ, we speak here often about it, is symbolic, but it's very, very real in function. We all have our function. One is the arm, the other is the leg. We had Kevin and Gavin here yesterday, diligently recording the radio show. Are those men, the lips or lungs, of the church, perhaps? What part of the body are you? What part of the body will Margaret become in the coming weeks? Or that person or visitor coming through the door in the weeks to come? Christ already knows that person. So let's conclude on three paradoxes of Christ in understanding being 
the servant. Remember, paradox are statements or situations that don't make logical sense. So these paradox are paradox only to the secular world, but to a Christian, it should make absolute sense. So with the eyes to see, one, the servant Christ saved the lost sheep, Isaiah 53, 6. Two, the servant Christ saved men who did not recognize him, who was appalled by him, Isaiah 52, or 53, 2 and 3. And then the servant Christ took our pain and bore our sufferings, 53, 4, due to love. All these things don't make sense. Why would a servant do this? The words lost sheep was apt for Isaiah's time. But for today, we are truly scattered sheep, far worse than Isaiah's time out in this world. Verse 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. Today, with disinformation in the media and on our phones, on the various societal agendas in place, and thirdly, most importantly, we have lost God in the 2024 society. In this secular world, the governments have removed the shepherd, Christ. So could we dare say the lost sheep are no more? No. Definitely no. Instead, the lost sheep are bountiful. The harvest has never been as good as the people need the truth, the way, particularly now more than ever, directed by a shepherd. We sinning rebels have a sheep turned our own way. As sinners, we don't need a shepherd in 2024. We have comforts. We have technology. Anyway, being shepherded by leaders is responsibility. I don't like people telling me what to do or how to behave. But if God is ignored, he is not there. And I can go on and live my life, my way, as a lost sheep astray. We are the sinning rebels. We were the lost sheep. And yet Christ the shepherd still wanted to find us. What sort of servant goes to that much effort? Christ did for you. Be humbled, brothers and sisters, as this is not deserved. Christ still get saved and was our ransom substitute. Verse 6 continued. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us all. That is your sin. It's my sin. It's Michael's sin. We should be filled with joy and make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 100, 1-2. As Christians in this church, we must as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet having everything, 2 Corinthians 
In other words, serving Christ in making many rich is the joyful fruit of the Spirit. Christ may not fill our pockets with euros, but he'll burst your heart open with joy. Here's the understanding. The opposite of joy is not suffering. Listen to those words. The opposite of joy is not suffering. It is despair in suffering. So if you don't understand joy, it's because you don't understand suffering and you see despair instead. You must understand that Christ is in control. Therefore, suffering in our life has a purpose. It is only despair if you do, don't see the cross as hope, beauty, and joy that Christ be death. But instead, you see it as suffering and despair. It is seeing Christ on the cross, which he's not. Rather, it's him resurrected as a living king now on his throne, who has beaten death and evil. Remember, Dundalk Baptist Church, we're in this intermediate time of salvation. Christ being a substitute for our sin at a time of redemption, a glorious time, as soon the final judgment will come. Christ will come to claim the earth back and the new Jerusalem will be created. Those days are closer, especially in a new year. We are now officially one year closer. We must see the joy of Christ now, at this moment, in serving him, being and functioning in a role in, this, and in his church. Otherwise, you've missed out on the joy and gladness of the Lord. If you're not seeing service as an offering to his glory, my question to you is, how different are you to those that rejected Christ, the servant? This leads me nicely on to the next point. How we treated this servant. Yet God still loved us to give us our son, for his son, for our sin. We need to be careful of not becoming too worldly focused. This short-term smelling of a flower that's going to die. Especially when we're a little bit closer to the end times. We could not look at him. We were appalled by him. Listen one last time to the text in chapters of 53, verses 2 and 3. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we could desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Now please, allow me for a moment just to play devil's advocate. This servant has a different way of, of, of viewing 2024 20, than I do. Christ looks at money and possessions so differently to me in this commercial world. He doesn't see the stresses of paying a mortgage or paying for a car or paying for holidays. I don't feel endorsed around him. Jesus doesn't seem to endorse me in this world. He's not a modern God living in this real world. If he's born in a stable, why not a palace? After all, he was a king. 
Jesus is about this be happy about perthing ideology. I must be a success in this world to survive. His willingness to suffer for my people, or for people. Why? I just like comfort in this therapeutic environment. So to protect ourselves from him, this Jesus guy, you need, because he will change your life, you need to suppress him, as per Romans 1. Put him in a box. I'm in control. And do exactly what Isaiah 53 says. He was despised and rejected by mankind. Even us, we rejected him. Brothers and sisters, this is the ultimate service, our servant. He stayed strong. 2,723-odd years since Isaiah, Christ did not drop off in his drive for salvation mission and purpose. He's still the ransoming servant, the ultimate joy in saving souls. So to the final point, service due to love. The servant Christ took our pain and bore our sufferings. Isaiah 53, 4, due to love. To serve and take pain and in Christ's sake die for someone unrighteous is love. But it's love that you and I cannot explain or relate to. It's love on a different scale. So in this last piece of scripture I'm going to expound on this morning, three is the number of completeness. But in this next piece of scripture, the love of Christ is the reason to serve. We join John 21 in verses 15 to 25. They had finished eating and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, summon John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt at this stage three times. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Three times the question, do you love me, Peter? Three times Jesus said, serve my sheep. Last week we asked for servants for the creche. We got a number of volunteers, and I just say a big thank you for that. But we're short four people to make this creche work. As Michael said, young kids that do not know how to say thank you, nor will they. So there's no praise in this service. But what Michael did not advertise was they'll probably moan at you, they're probably going to cry, and they're going to reject you just as Christ, our servant, in, in, in Isaiah 53, verse 3. Last weekend, Michael and I spent one and a half days on a five-year plan for leading this flock. What this church can become for Christ 
We're going to share it with you on the 10th of March, and then the following week we're going to do our AGM and get all the financial stuff and pass and vote that budget. Planning is great. Isaiah got a glimpse of Christ 700 years before he came. Isaiah saw the ultimate server and giver. I hope Isaiah's ultimate servant, Christ, did inspire you this morning. So if you're inspired, I ask the local body of Christ in Dundalk, can we have four more volunteers to fill the creche? Can you be a fellow servant of Christ in answering that need? Lastly, if the creche is not your thing, don't worry. We'll be advertising a list of positions for this local body of church that need filling in the coming weeks. It's for it's in Christ's name that we pray. It's for his substitution we give thanks that we can come before the Father in his righteousness and have eternal life. Christ still serving us to this very moment in our righteousness on the throne of grace. Oh Lord, we praise and thank you. Amen. Let's go to prayer. Oh Lord, Heavenly Father, King of kings and creator of all, we just want to give thanks that first we have this this church, this body of believers, arms and legs all together in this room worshiping you. Lord, I pray that not only do we sort this crash out, but we fulfill all the different roles that are needed in this church. And that this meeting coming up in March, as a body, we see who's the head of this church. It's Christ. We see the understanding and the need of service. We get to see joy. We get to see your glory. Oh, Lord, may we understand this love. This love, this unbelievable love that you did, your son did, coming as a sacrifice for us. Lord, help us. Help us as a church to grow, to welcome those who have not heard this truth, to become established and, and just focus on one simple thing, the gospel. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be... I'm standing now for 